can truly, surely, woo a sigh of relief that 2022 is in the rear view mirror. There was the untimely death of my father and my gangster sister's health crisis and all of us getting COVID and we didn't die. I am here as a testimony to the survival and thriving. No excuses and no patience for pity parties. I'm going to be talking about how to glow up as a podcaster or not. Good black news and words of encouragement and shade if you stupid. What I'm reading, the Dallas Cowboys and other things, football and sports, pop culture news, donkeys donking and side eye shenanigans. I like the part of the podcast where I talked about over 40 dating and other relationship issues. Quark's Bar, dedicated to podcasts, reality, TV recaps. Join me as I fuss and have a moment as I kick and stomp my way through the next iteration of my life. Join me for this rocking good time. And thank you for listening. rendition of the black anthem is it cracks me up that is lift every chair and swing and what a great way to introduce woke history uh this segment that um it seems like i'm dedicated to or being dedicated to black conspiracy theories but it's not too far off y'all i mean there are just so many things that I have about my history, or I'm now finding out in this age of my his of African American history that I didn't even know about. For example, um, I have been getting a lot of information or expanded some research as I'm researching, or I've been reading Jonathan Iggs' King, A Life, I believe. It's 700 and some odd page treaty to Martin Luther King, but it is such a wealth of information. There's just so much I didn't know about the struggle, about King and his personal life, about how Coretta Scott King got him into civil rights. Uh, He wasn't that active he was trying he was a struggling preacher that had a gift and a calling but had no direction and his wife gave him that direction and then of course the rest is obvious history but a lot of the history has been lost to a lot of rewriting of history of whitewashing history of revising history And the more I read, I start thinking about how I call them the alphabet boys. And I don't do that 
lighthearted. I mean, look, people in law enforcement have a hard, a really hard time. We live in an age of police brutality. When things go wrong, the Scorpion Squad here in Memphis, or in Tennessee and Memphis, I live in Chattanooga. But what I'm finding is that the FB and the I and all the I's, the CIA, a lot of intelligence, counterintelligence, those are the highest law enforcement in the United States at this time. But they're not above pale. Since their inception, I mean, you can go back to the Secret Service or what was then considered the Secret Service allowing Abraham Lincoln to be assassinated. We can go back and how it seems that people stepped aside and allowed Booth to cap him. Same thing can happen with J. Edgar Hoover and his FBI, because it really was his little fiefdom, how the FBI Secret Service didn't do a proper sweep of that street and allowed Crazy Pants to cap Kennedy and then his brother. You know, they didn't, Roman Catholics were not at the time and probably to a certain extent still not trusted in this country, but he was a practicing Catholic, staunch, born and raised. That's why he had a gabillion brothers. But that did not keep a bullet from ending his life and ending his father's life, his brother's life, Robert. Let's do a little bit of fact checking. It was always known that Herbert Hoover, I think was a grand dragon. I'm just gonna put that out there. He basically was all about keeping the status quo. He, they, it was well known that he was against jazz. He was against, and he definitely was against the civil rights movement. Any, and of course, Black Panther and black nationalism, anything that would allow us to realize that we are citizens and afforded the same protections and rights as any other non-black person in this country. That wasn't his stick. He used his authority within that governmental agency to basically keep the status quo, where white is always right. This led to the inception of a non-regulated department that was in the FBI called the GIP child, where you think snitches can get stitches? Nah, -uh. not if you with the FBI and the I, it'll get you a job. And it gave 7,000 peoples in the hood a job. GIP stands for the Ghetto Informant Program. Sometimes I reach it and then I look, my head, I have to turn my head to the side, and I'm like, this ain't real. Yeah, it was real. It was a federally financed, wholly unregulated department within the FBNI to basically keep tabs on us. The race riots and it spilling over into the commercial aspects of white America was the only reason why this was actually conceptualized. 
their their goal was to get this information if it looked like anybody was going to come up as a leader or to head off us our poverty and to keep us in the ghettos they that's the only reason why they would do anything but they said they were just trying to keep uh um eye on to make sure prevent these riots but they prevented it didn't them snitching prevented nothing they basically sold subversion and division and basically did nothing to quell why people rioted that's the thing that trips me out they didn't care at all that they probably were listening in on conversations and the plots to kill Malcolm, Martin, Huey, and Fred. I think the FBI boys, and I think those papers probably exist, where they knew it was coming. They weren't at the Lorraine, but they knew they, he was a marked man. They didn't do what they needed to do to protect him from a lunatic. They didn't do it for their own white boy, didn't do it for the Kennedys. Why do you think they were gonna do it for the most powerful leaders within the African-American community? And anybody that seemed like they could basically become a leader and get the rights with we, which we, we were supported. And then they wonder why people don't trust the police or cops or the, all the alphabet boys because, and because of all the subversion. I honestly believe the CIA and those um, governmental agencies actually introduced and allowed the drug trade to flourish because it not only did what they weren't going to do, it also was going to destroy, it could destroy generations of people. And the hood became its own prison, a powdery prison. You know, I look at death camps differently than I have ever. The Nazis basically learned their subversive and very obvious bigotry and racism from us. And a lot of people don't even know that. They had Auschwitz, they had these death cans, they wrote, rounded up folks and put them in these uh, ghetto, then sealed up the entrance, then only broke apart the entrance when they had, when they were at uh, the railroads. Um, and then they, they basically won up or improved upon what we actually have, our poverty-stricken stricken ghettos in this country. They took it up a notch because they were allowed to take over the government, build these death traps, and the rest of the world looked away. Then this issue is with here in America, we try to be all subversive with it. We let people stay in ghettos and in these horrible conditions. And then they already, the alphabet noise know when we're gonna ride, when we're just gonna have our folded chair, um, our folded chair episode. And then you wonder why. We have the, all of these things happen to us. We get lynched in real, in, in plain sight. People swinging from trees, strange fruit for decades. And we're just passing anti-lynching laws, really? A lot of these things can make you 
or can actually increase your anxiety or can be triggering. But then I look at it as I, at least I know where, who my enemies are and I can see the subtle differences when somebody is trying to shim sham me. But unless I'm going to basically pack up and go elsewhere, which I'm not going to do at this point, my knees hurt too bad. <laughs> but actually that's even better because I am blessed with the ability, um, the upcoming episode I actually recorded from my hot tub after I took a morning swim in my pool. I'm afforded to be able to relax and that inspires me to actually create and look up things for my episode. I have outlets. The more I learn about all of these things that could be seen as obstacles, I'm actually using them as inspiration um, to expand what I can do to learn more about myself and my people. Because when you can overcome this kind of overt and covert unprotection and still create something beautiful, how wonderful is your testimony then? So you always have to find the silver lining in some really horrific circumstances. And I think the GIP in its original inception, even though they said they disbanded this mug in 1973, I honestly think there are other entities, even within the alphabet boys, that they're still watching us. They know what's about to come because somebody has done a report on it, but that should not allow or prevent you from creating great things. I mean, the Jazz A's went on and it's resurging now. The art from Harlem Renaissance is actually making a splash right now. We got a whole month to celebrate us, but my celebration happens every single day of the year. We still have to go on in spite of this kind of nonsense. Because if you think about it, you're not supposed to prosper because the chips are stacked against you and have been so for centuries, but we are still thriving. We're still creating. And that's the cool thing about it. Even in spite of these types of obvious obstacles, who knew something like this actually existed? But that's the thing about United States and all of its um, dichotomies. We, they, it's set up to tell on itself. Freedom of information, this stuff, is now available to us. And the, re the thing that allows me that it was allowed to exist, now we know it exists. So now I also know that another inception of the same type of raggedy illegal organization still exists. And they're gonna have to shut that down if somebody get wind of it. So with that said, nerds to the GIP program, nerds to J. Edgar Hoover, and all of his illegal shenanigans in his 40 years of running that, the alphabet boys, y'all got some work to do to be able to right all the wrongs from decades of crazy. And it's not a bad thing to be woke because you actually have to be woke to know exactly who your member, your enemies are and what they'll do to basically keep down an entire race of people. <laughs> The Shady Bunch, the Shady Bunch. I hope turning up for checks to pay for fake lifestyles were to be a part of the Shady Bunch.
I am hopeful that as I sit in my hot tub, I should be able to relax and enjoy my day. I have the jets on low, but I hope the noise counseling capabilities of my headset is going to even um, it's even going to uh, cancel out the, the, the bubbles. I mean, middle class problems, y'all. But welcome to this section of the episode. Um, I am going to be talking about uh, reality TV and social media roundup. Probably... I started doing this because there are other podcasters that do a really good, um, an amazing job of uh, commenting on and commenting on and are in the know because they know most of these people. I feel like a fraud, <laughs> literally, every time I try, I talk about it. Um, so, and I would love to be in these people's web because they are, it just appears to me that they are actually well compensated and they have the sponsorship so they can actually um, speak and create and they've been in the game for years. I mean, Carlos King, one of the most celeb, one of the most celebrated producers in reality TV, that is his judge. Um, scam goddess goddess i hope you can't hear that because that's she it's so funny her podcast and her group is called the congregation ratchet and respectable dj richie sky binge worthy all of these creatives with their youtube successful youtube channels subscribers are what i aspire to so I mentioned them because I would go and I would actually subscribe to their channel and listen to their product because they're doing really well. Also, in celebration of Black History Month, one of my favorite podcasts, The Read, uh, was invited to the Sacred uh, Hair Care product launch by Beyonce. Um, and actually, they got to meet Miss Tina, her mom. Blue Ivy as she rolled her eyes and went back on her phone, and the and Lady Bay herself, I think it's remarkable. One thing that really um, struck me is they commented that Beyonce is even more beautiful in person than she is in a picture. That's actually a remarkable compliment, I think, because pictures can be photoshopped. They can be highlighted, but they basically said she actually, it seemed to them that they, the connection she has with them and she makes a real connection with them in particular. And she was like, she's just so gracious. She's so homespun. And I think people don't realize that she was raised well. And I'm sure she had a praying grandmama and she's just, 
they made a connection because they were like, this is not how it goes. She was like, I'm it's so honored to finally get to meet y'all. And it's like, well, no, what are you what are you talking about? We are honored to finally meet you, a living icon. So I thought their whole this this past week's uh, episode of the read was just them completely fanning out over Beyonce and it was just you could hear the joy uh, in their voice and Kid Fury who is just a big softy teddy bear uh, basically had a whole what he was going to say to her all mapped out in her head and it all went out in the window when he actually did meet her and I found that to be completely hilarious too but mad shout out um to the crew and it goes to saying she's like number one on the country billboard now um i haven't listened to all of her song i've just seen some of the tiktoks um and instagram dances and we've actually people are going to two-step Beyonce to a CMA album of the year because every sing both singles are now topping the Billboard's country charts and why not and why can't she <laughs> but I'm going to go on now and get into what else is going on reality TV with um, something that was mentioned on Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Demetria is still gallivanting all around. She's going to be in back in the United States for a number of weeks. I'm thinking she's probably going to take an Usher concert or two. And she's going to go back to Accra. She is the epitome of Black Sit. And I'm so here for it. But one of the things she mentioned at the end of her show that I vaguely remember hearing announced like the beginning of the week and I didn't pay any attention to it because it was just so odd or was it right after Carlos King or it was breaking news that Portia that Portia um that Portia Williams was actually going to be rejoining Real Housewives of Atlanta Carlos King had made the comment about how current shows, he stopped watching Atlanta, Beverly Hills, Potomac are all a snooze. And he was glad that finally he knew that she was coming back was going to be there because those shows are now a snooze. He was ready for the pretty, the opulence. He wanted to see uh films of simon in the bathroom with her watching her glue on her wig and she's flying private and etc etc but then i realized that in the the 15 months that since the wedding itself we haven't seen or a lot of content with them it's always in costa rica which i now found out that's a rented house um i recently saw them doing speedboat in dubai and uh, when we see them in dubai 
but there have been no real sightings in Atlanta since really since their marriage. Portia's been here. She's still gallivanting and hanging out with the girls. She still had their court side. But I'm also wondering, are those season tickets that she purchased or does she, she used to date athletes. She is from Atlanta. Did she parlay into somebody's getting somebody or donate no seats or are they owned by the Gabadias? So I say all of those things because there's a lot of question marks. And I also point back to Demetri L. Lucas is a podcaster who was on reality TV, who actually um, comments on many things. But she spent a great deal of time on the announcement of the next round of announcements. For example, the word is out that not as soon as she's going to be returning to Real Housewives of Atlanta, um, she signed a 360 deal with NBC Universal. And then it's been confirmed, and I saw it on five different sources. I mean, yes, they are like gossip TV, but uh, People, Page Six, several blogs, now Demetri L. Lucas and some other bloggers. But she's actually filed for divorce from Simon um, as of this past week. It's been really confirmed. And then all of these other stories have resurfaced about him truly being a Nigerian, not a Nigerian, a fake Nigerian prince. So, but we've seen. And then I go back to something that Carlos King basically said about Portia bringing back class and opulence and the fakery of it all. And I was really not, I was just, I think I was just more confused than anything. Cause look at, take a check this. People forget that Portia is not broke. When at her peak on Real Housewives of Atlanta, she was the million dollar baby. She had Go Naked Hair, successful online company. She had lingerie. Um, <coughs> she host. She had Real Housewives and making a mint per episode for, for like, what, seven, eight seasons? Um, and she was on Dish. I mean, she had her own house. I'm hopeful that she didn't sell that house. And, and I'm thinking the house that they're probably in now may actually be rented. I think all of those things are getting ready to come out. Because here we go. Going back to their marriage, I don't know, and I'm going to have to rewatch this. Portia was on a season of girlfriend's trip on Bravo and they basically talk crazy at Candid's um another housewife from Potomac um because she didn't go on a honeymoon but do we recall seeing anything from Portia's honeymoon 
And also, come to find out, Portia had many dresses, but all of those dresses from her um, traditional Nigerian dress um, to her American were probably donated. She basically took influencer to a whole other level, and we know she did that. And she basically tried those people in Nigeria because they were like, they get their client, the clientele evidently in the Nigeria, if you, if you are balling like that, they don't look at prices, but you're going to pay them a grip. I'm sure Portia was over there trying to negotiate rates or get donations because of her influence when they don't need influence over there. You ain't gifted. You ain't. It's not a buy one, get one free kind of mentality. Y'all remember when they were in Barcelona and she negotiated buy one, get one free for some pants. So Portia ain't crazy. And if she can get it for free, she is going to get it for free. I absolutely think that she negotiated her wedding for the appearance and who from the crew that filmed it to everybody that, that um, even the caterers uh, for the reception were negotiated and gifted if she were to basically put them on a gram or et cetera. And she's because nothing is for free. Then we come to find out even prior to that, she basically, they, they said that Portia was holding out on signing a prenup. I think Simon, because he knew what his, because he was flim flam and Portia is not crazy because she did not have a prenup with Cordell Stewart and she went away with nothing. I'm sure that she wanted, now that she has more assets, she wanted to protect herself from the zero that is Simon. People have commented on Simon, and I think all of these things were in the work because Portia is not all as stupid as people would think she is. She's playing the, the long game. I think she had a heads up that... Now that Candace was not going, that they were going to need to revamp the show. Candy was leaving and this was her opportunity to swoop in with a multi-part story. I'm wondering who is going to get hosed in this because from what I understand, 360 deals are not, they're basically golden cage. It, uh, it obligates the creator to stay and have everything maintained with the one company so they can't go and it decreases their bargaining power i'm hopeful that and we just don't know that not only does it hold her to a deal with real housewives of atlanta but it also allows her to be able at the behest of the studio to basically increase her name her brand and do other things um offshoot because I not only see this as a real housewife fodder, I also see this in filming. I also see this as there are some federal charges that are going to be pending with Gabodia and also her story of the divorce itself and how she may have protected herself through that prenup and through some other things. 
And it also is going to make sense for them to be able to afford to bring back, um, even though I don't trust her, but the shady parks, Phaedra Parks, and maybe one of her girlfriends. Also, as Dennis, because I'm sure he's really with the I Told You show, shows, um, and his old reckless mouth mama. I don't see her mother, who seems to be Benjamin Button and seems to be aging backwards, or Lauren, her Williams, her half-sister, willingly filming all of this drama. But I think some of the other people in her life are here for the shenanigans. And I'm hopeful. I don't I think it doesn't make sense. It would make more sense if she had a real ally that uh, they fall out, but then they get back together. I wish that Nene Leakes hadn't talked herself and told Angie Cohen to keep her name out of his mouth. But unless there's going to be a big shakeup at Universal, it wouldn't make sense to bring her on by herself. And I don't know if that agreement allows her to be able to get other people on because I think one of the things that happened with Real Housewives is people weren't really friends. They act like they didn't really like each other. And but there was a lot of messiness and but they were declassing the show and they were it was they were not willing to do what was right for the show. So if they're going to bring her back, I hope she I know she's going to be able to work. But is she going to do it like she did it on family Portia, where when stuff came out, she would refuse to film and then she would instruct her family not only to say certain things and not really tell the whole truth about there was like an altercation when they were overseas and nobody was willing to speak on it. Also, we never got the whole truth on Bolo, if she banged him or not. And I don't really care now. I mean, it's so old that she probably slept with that stripper, but okay, whatever, Portia. But it was compelling as she kept sidestepping and dodging it. And I think she may have out, like, outright loud, lied, but it wasn't. She didn't have to tell us that. And if she can basically bang who she wants to bang. And I think they dragged that out for too long. But that's all I'm going to say on that. I think it's more compelling that she actually was in a relationship with that pedophile R. Kelly. But I don't really care. You know, Portia's done this in the past where how much did she know? I think Portia is very smart. I think she knew he was fake. And I also think it's going to come out that that prenup is going to be ironclad and she knew going in that she was going to have to remake him and he was not a nigerian prince i think she knew that that was going to make a compelling story and why she hasn't released a whole bunch of content of their relationship because she was saving it as a bargaining chip for the studios. She's willing to basically sell her life story, but have some control over the narrative. And she knows how it goes. 
And it makes more people want to watch because even with the train wreck, that is her life. But it's going to be funny. And this time, she was the image consultant for Gabadia. But she controls all the money. The private jets, I think they're going on, are at her expense. Even the speedboats and the rentals, etc. Mystique. But I think she can afford it now. But now she needs to be repaid. And now she's getting ready to flip it into reality TV fodder. And she couldn't fake the funk for more than 15 months because these federal charges are getting ready to come to a head. That's why she needed to get camera ready. Her Ozempic shot body, she had to get him present and ready because the cameras are going to get ready to roll and they're getting ready to be paid on the mess that is their life. Also, it also goes to the back about who actually is going to be coming back. Breaking news, and she's actually confirmed it herself. Marlo Hampton is not coming back, even as a friend of the show. She doesn't make sense without Nene. And even though she came, she would clock in. Her storyline seemed to be forced, and she was just a pot stirrer. If she had just been there for fame and subtle shade about the women, that would have been great instead of an all-around shit stir, uh, bringing up and putting two-year-old family tragedy and trying to draw somebody in because a producer told you to go after Candy. Yeah, that's low, and that's why she lost her peach. And why bring you back as a friend of the show when nobody is your friend? Again, there you go. Also, Sanya Richards Ross, although she has cute kids and her husband is fine, she is not reality TV. She's not a reality TV star. She is, her family, although regal, they're not there for the shenanigans. They are elite Jamaicans. They're not, they don't stay out trouble. They mind their business and they love and care for each other. Unfortunately, that does not reality TV make. And so it makes sense that she's not on the show. So who else is left? Sheree. And Drew Sedora, Sheree is all about, is very selfish and all about herself. I don't think there's anything, she's a beautiful woman, but I don't think anything in her life besides her, have, her son having a kid out of wedlock and her being a glam mom, I thought that storyline was forced and it was old. I don't care. But you had such high hopes for him and he ended up being it seemed like he ended up being a fuck boy. He's not even a model. He's not, he's squandering his hype. You know what I mean? Did he graduate from school or did he get caught up like Nene's son did? I don't know. Also, Drew Sedora, she didn't do a Robin um, from Potomac, at least. 
went through a whole divorce. A lot of stuff was in the news, but she never spoke about it on the show. Never, nothing was filmed. How did they remain in that house? And was it going to be realistic if we were going to get anything from Drew Sador? I don't think if she's not going to, I think I can see the, the reason why she was probably brought on the show originally now that uh, Porsche's coming back may actually make a little bit of sense. But if she's not going to clock in, I don't want to see Drew Sador. So I don't want to see unrealistic captions of her life. I thought her and the lack of relationship between her eldest son and his biological father was cringy. I was more interested in his story than that and bringing that kid into it and why they hooked up in the first place. So, but that's basically the roundup. And then this Porsche story, if it's done correctly, and not and it's so wild because the un the scripted nature of scripted TV if you're not going to show oh oh and this is also somebody I really don't want to see come back I don't want to see Kim Zolziak and her wigs come back because this is the real housewives of Atlanta not the real trash wives of desperate housewives it's not that I think they can make her clock in, but I think her, if they make her feel that she's captive, the white savior, I don't need to see that. She basically clocked out season five and went and did her own thing and said, you should be now honored to film with me and I don't have to show up for work. I don't think they need that kind of vibe because the show has suffered in the last two or three seasons with people with that mentality. And I don't think give them giving that white girl and her wigs another chance to damage this show. That's not necessarily. I'm, as you can tell, I'm still mad about that whole white savior kind of thing. I don't think the show needs that. I don't think anybody else from, what's her name? The original Housewives that started, I don't think any of them have anything going on that is absolutely newsworthy because once they left the show or even during the show, a lot of them are divorced. And unless they're in some type of meaningful relationship that they're willing to put on air, I don't really want to see that either. And also if you're in a relationship, but your partner knows that you've been picked up by housewives, maybe that's why also Portia also needs knows that Simon needs a check. And this is a way for all of them to get paid. If he's also willing to put all that stuff on Front Street, maybe he's desperate enough and them lawyers' fees are racking up that he may want to do all of those things. So I don't think we've heard the last of the all-around deal from Portia. I don't think, and I'm waiting, I can't, now I'm starting to anticipate the rest of the casting choices for this show and how it's filming and what they're going to present to us look because they could start the first episode in court or somebody from Phaedra Park's firm representing Portia in her divorce. Either way, 
it's going to be messy. And Portia's going to be saying some crazy shit. So there you go. So my other recording ended up doing really well from the hot tub. So I think this is going to be one of those places where as long as I have the jets on low and noise canceling headset, it should be all right. So this part of the episode, which is a review of film, I just started this. Um, This is going to be the last recording uh, for Black History Month. And it just so happens uh, these documentaries are predominantly involving either our community or African-American music. Um, The New York Times, (laughs) why am I source of black culture? Which is hysterical when you think about it. Actually has added to um, my list of what to watch and encouraging what to watch. And I can't say more than the feel good movement in documentaries. Like documentaries are the original reality TV without the um, trash. I mean, a lot, the stories behind some of the people and the kids and the musicians or creators in the documentaries is where all the drama is. And it's all nonfiction. These are these people's real, true lives. And it's the first one was 80,000 instruments. Evidently, the Los Angeles School District is the last, one of the last districts in the country that allows, provides uh, instruments and the repair of instruments um, to their students. There is a small and shrinking group of people that do all the repairs. Their backstories are so compelling. There is a story of struggle. There's a story of depravity, domestic violence, and immigrants. And there was one guy that actually uh, was a part of a group that opened for Elvis Presley. I think he does the, I want to say he does the, when the, uh, when woodwinds. And then there's one that's an Armenian, uh, immigrate immigrant whose father was killed. Um, when the civil unrest during that time, he was dope. There was another one that did the lady, the the woman, one of the few women that actually repairs the brass instruments. Um, she immigrated from uh, Mexico. And then she told this heartbreaking story about how she couldn't afford um, to rent <coughs> the same. He, she couldn't afford when at the time when her son was coming up and she was a single mother, she couldn't afford the rental, the monthly rental required for him to be able to play the instrument. Now she's actually working in the same department that provides those instruments and she actually helps maintain them. The irony of it all.
it's about hard struggle and some of the, most of the kids that actually play the violin and there's one girl I think she plays the saxophone how in the piano and how their home lives um, seems to be so chaotic and the only consistency is their instruments. I thought it was so dope. Um, and it was just such a compelling story. And it also makes you want to go and look up. And if I can find it in enough time for this recording, I'm actually going to find where you can actually donate to the Los Angeles school system. It's one of the largest in the country. And it's also one of this program itself is so dope. And they actually people from the um, the repair technicians to former and current students, they all at the end, it culminates into they give like basically a concert, um, this orchestra made up of these instruments. And I think it that in itself was dope. I don't know if they actually have any music. Are there any albums associated with it? Because everybody is so that was playing was just so talented. And but again, it was nominated for Best Documentary um, for this the 2024 Academy Awards. I hope they win. I, the nomination, they say, oh, that's great. But I actually hope they win. And I hope they generate enough press and enough awareness that it'll continue to be self-perpetuating. Music and arts are usually the first programs that are cut in public school systems. I hope there is a way for not just the Los Angeles Orchestra or Philharmonic, but other orchestras to um, support these types of programs and the repair of these instruments, replacement of this instrument. I have like this one, I kept having this reoccurring dream, or maybe I'll do like a screenplay um, about a worker that is repairing a beautiful instrument and you hear him playing and it ends up being a Stradivarius. And basically when it does, when it's found out and it gets auctioned off, um, it basically supports that department uh, for uh, many years because it's going to go for a record price. I just basically talked myself into another screenplay based on that documentary. How dope would that be? And he had no idea that this um, it was donated. And as he was uh, repairing it, the more he actually this is like a lifetime movie. It fit it if it wasn't ever one. But I'm going to need to get that on paper right quick. The other one that also did for best documentary is Trap Jazz. It's a sound coming out of Atlanta. They had me as one of the people that were initially talking were, of course, um, trap hip hop artist T.I. and um, Young Jock. And his melon head popped up. I was all in. And then there was Big Boy from with uh, Farside fame and then there was um jazzy fave that i've seen on and off of real housewives of atlanta um because he actually has done some work in the past with escape and candy burris 
But this is a, the travails of uh, the ensemble. One guy's on keyboards, the other guy is a drummer. And I think, I don't know if they have anybody on brass or if it's just synthesized, but either way, um, if you listen to, one, I just noticed that one of the main musicians was, he was extremely high. It, it appears as his locks got more organized, he, the higher and the crazy he sounded. But if you just focus on um, the move music, the music itself is, you know, transcending. And it actually, I do completely agree with that and uplifting. I mean, if Andre 3000 can put out a whole flute album and then um, Solange is planning on releasing a whole uh, musical album dedicated to the tuba, what about trap jazz? Why not trap jazz? I listened to one of the uh, musicians albums, Cassius J's album, um, and it has the driving bassline of a good bop, trap bop, but the disorganization of traditional jazz. And it comes, and it's not noise. It does have a group, and it's not, but it's not something that you can dance to. It's something that you can basically groove to. I have appreciation for it. I don't think I needed to watch a whole two, three hour documentary to get that, but I can dig it. And at least I now have awareness of this new genre that of course is coming out of black Hollywood Atlanta. So check that out. That one is literally called trap jazz. Um, I've watched both of those um, documentaries on Hulu. Um, check back in and I probably will watch um, the rest of the nominated uh, films as the weeks come up and as we uh, run up to the Academy Awards, which I believe is March 15th. <clears throat> and this is like stuff that I'm learning about stuff that I wouldn't even ordinarily watch if it had not been for the arts and leisure section of the New York Times. But y'all check those out and let me know what you think. And that's it for this episode of Tenfro is Reading. You know, I talked cash-ish all last year. I hope the listening audience will continue to enjoy my opinion and not so subtle shade. I mean, I'm 2,000 listeners per episode in, so go run tell that haters. I may take it on the road if I get hint hint sponsorship. Navigate to dalesangelsinc.blog for swag and extended podcast notes. Don't forget to hit like or leave a five-star review. It gets me on top of the algorithms and it may just get you on my show. 2023's motto is boss up and get the bag. And as always, tell a friend and thank you for listening.